Take two seconds today and go to BurtBurtBurt.com and buy my book, Life of the Party. You can also check out my tour dates, get a shirt, and while you're online, why don't you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Today's guest, from the Opie and Anthony Show, best-selling author and stand-up comedian with a new show on Vice.com, premiering July 23rd, Jim Norton. This is... Yeah, a lot of it was staged by the guys who do... Because this was from Man Caves. So the TV show Man Caves made it. So they staged it like I was. You can hold it or you can talk to it. No, this is you're good, man. I like this a lot. This is cool. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> if you put the yeah. clamp on the metal part of the thing, it won't move as much. Okay. So put the like right in the middle. Perfect. That's the Joey Diaz setup. Uh, you know? I said, yeah, yeah. Michael Corleone did this. Michael Corleone did that. <laughs> the. Uh, do you think that the brother in that uh, when they bring the brother in? Yeah. Are they saying that they will kill the brother if he does it? I've wondered that, too. I, I think it's a combination of we're going to kill him or you'll no shame disrespect. him by testifying. Exactly. You, you want, would you want me to... Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm recording. Yeah. It's implied. I mean, it's, but yeah, but I don't know if they're like, we'll kill the brother or if this is the thing of respect. Yeah, don't I forget don't who either. you are when you were a little boy. We don't rat on each other. Right. I just... Uh, uh, okay. That's I'm guessing a threat. All right. Uh you probably talked out about Opie and Anthony, so I'm not going to, no. You can, I'm, I don't mind. Whatever you want to touch, we'll touch. Well, I, I here's what, the thing that, the last three shows that you did, is yeah. it three, been three, have been really fucking good. What, the last three shows? Of Opie and, of OJ in the morning. Oh, that, yeah, the, uh. O, Opie and Jim, OJ in the morning, that's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, that's people, have, oh, yeah, OJ, it's great, uh, great, I, I, it's probably going to go to Opie Radio, if Anthony doesn't return, it'll probably be Opie Radio, I don't want it to be Jim Norton, I don't want it to have my oh, yeah, name I heard, on it. I heard that on Ray, Rogan last night. Oh, okay, yeah. I understand that, but you got it, yeah, but, I don't know, uh, it feels like, I'll tell you my, this, I was talking to Cowhead last night on the phone, because if I talk to anyone about anything going on in media or sure. radio, Cowhead's like, my, he's one yeah. of my best friends, if, I, we were agreed, it feels like. Mom died from cancer. Yeah. And dad's dating the hospice nurse, but and they're and he's happy. And you're like, "Well, what do you want him to do? Like you don't want him to mourn. You don't want him to be sad. You want him right. to get on with his life." But at the same time, it's like that one show with fucking Pete Rose yeah. was murderous. And and Gervais, yeah. But it's not it's not like mom died. Put it this way. How about this? Dad was arrested for molesting a child and went to jail. Yeah. Mom is now seeing dad's best friend. So, but dad could get out of jail on a technicality and come back. Yeah. If dad is dead, it means dad can never come back. Dad could still come back. You know, I, I still hold out hope that Anthony can come back. Um, it would make my decision to stay or leave much easier. I don't, I don't want to be in your shoes. Yeah. I don't want to be in your shoes at all because even like at the fucking height of Voss... Walking in and 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 it, this all just happened, so sure. this is why I'm talking about it. But like the whole time, I kept thinking, Ah, I wish Anthony. Was of there. course, <laughs> nothing is happening where we're not thinking that because you know it, it's one of those things where I don't mind for a week or so because Ant's been out or Opie, you know, will go on vacation or whatever. So we're used to doing that without one or the other for a while. But week two is going to be harder because. Okay, we can't just grieve. We got to carry on and do a show. We can't just talk about Anthony. We got to do. So now we have to actually fill that space. 
and uh, it's going to be very difficult to, to do. And um, you know, Ant's geared up and ready to go on, on his next project. I oh, mean, uh, don't think don't think everyone listening very motivated w- wasn't wasn't hands close to the dial when you went on and got on the plane yesterday. Like, I mean, you you got up to get on the plane and you you got Opie and Jim and and Dan and you're like in your head you're like oh shit. Like, I don't think I've ever heard this scenario before. Right. But man, fucking Florentine and Soder were fucking hilarious. Of course. And they blew out the bass in my car speakers with their voices, but fucking, they were hilarious. And it was yeah. great. It was great, you know. Dan's a great radio guy. I want. I actually requested that he come in earlier because I haven't done radio with him in a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, but Florentine's always funny, so I had no doubt that was going to be really good. It's so interesting to hear your perspective. And by the way, I, I, I always preface with like, like when the whole ant thing, they were like, Bert, what's your stand on it? And I was like, I don't have a stand. I'm just a fan. Yeah. I've only done the show twice. I'm not like a O&A guy. I'm just a fucking guy that did it twice, and that's it. But I've listened to the show, and I know more. Like you and Ronnie B are my two shows that I listen to. And so as a fan, I was like, I was like it was really interesting to hear you yesterday as a fan and a guy who knows you it was really interesting to hear the side of you your young sexual addiction side oh yeah yeah yeah. like the the part that like because i know that you've kind of dealt with it and talked about it but like you forget that it's real yeah it's all based in real stuff i mean if anything i've edited shit out when i i don't exaggerate i mean you know you exaggerate for a joke but most stuff i've just kind of edited out because i'm like yeah that's uncomfortable or i don't want to talk about that you know to hear the shit you edited out it's nothing terrible it's nothing that would be shocking it's nothing murderous or mon- you know what i mean it's just little details or certain people or, you know do you find that when you get too honest people then assume a side of almost like uh like sometimes when i'm real honest about partying or whatever and i'll be like oh yeah like I, I, it's nothing to me I, it's part of my life then i watch people kind of like not judge but pity me yeah or they um it's probably a combination of both. It's like a little oh, and, and in a right, in, in a way, they're right. Like, because when I my my sexual history has taken me to some dark places, and it has made me very hard for me to connect. Just like you're partying, if you don't stop, it will eventually kill you. Well, my sexual addiction will remove any intimacy and any shot I have. It. It's like they're right in a way to go. Uh, I don't like hearing that because for me, it's fun to talk about, and when I talk about it and I own it. I make it acceptable, and when they go, oh, that's a reality check. Like, wow, it really isn't acceptable. Like, I don't mean by society moralizing, but I mean it's it's bad for me or it's unhealthy for me. And people reacting a certain way, usually they're right, unless they're like, oh, you're terrible. But if they're just kind of like, oof, that's a little fucked up, they're right. Like <laughs> you jacking off in the back of Florentine's car. Oh yeah, I definitely was like that was a bit much. Yeah, <laughs> but I was all horned up. I was what? lathered up. What is, like, I tried to talk to you about this one time, but, like, what is, what do you think, like, where do you think the line of sexual addiction crosses? I think it's what are you willing to risk to get the high? Like, and it is a high. Like, um, you know, when you look at Anthony Weiner's a great example. He wasn't fucking girls. He wasn't technically cheating. But he blew a really important political career. Like, he probably would have been mayor of New York City, and he couldn't not text and jerk off. Like, look at what he lost okay. to get that dopamine drip. That's it's the all, dopamine drip that I'm all obsessed it is. with. It's all it is. Fucking this morning, Isla's birthday, my youngest, and we go to get donuts, and they just got these brand new jelly donuts. Sure. Where they, where they, it's the jelly that's got texture to it. It's not that flat jelly. Right. And I love that jelly. And, it, and they put it in at the top so you can see, like, it's spilling over. They, it was a brilliant move to put the, insert the jelly from the top. Right. And I fucking, I put one down. And I wolfed it, 
and I could feel me. I could feel my dopamine just shooting through my body. Yeah. And I went for another one, and I felt mm. sick. But I was like, motherfucker, I've been doing so good on my diet, and then all of a sudden I'm fucking. It's the truth. You, it's dopamine. It's it's dope. Yeah. It's 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 a. It's gluttonous behavior, and I don't mean just eating. I mean in sex, it's always wanting more than my share, always grabbing for more. I can't imagine putting that into a relationship, though, because that's like it's it's like having an eating disorder. Yeah. It's like you go, it's like then you've got to share this addiction you've been private with with another person, and do you open up? Or do you lie to them about it? Part of the uh, advantage of being a comedian is you're telling on yourself in advance, so they can't claim ignorance. Like, uh, they can't claim they didn't know. It's like, I, I, I talk about it. I've ah, honestly. Dude, this sounds like me and my network. <laughs> yes. You got, <laughs> you got to let them know. And it's like, hey, look, man, you know, I was like the old saying goes, you knew I was a Scorpio when you picked me up. That's what it was. Uh, you knew I was a pervert. I, but now I'm honest and I answer questions. And I, I won't leave anything out. I don't care if I'm going to lose them or not. I don't care. I don't give a fuck if they're going to walk away or not. Because. They're going to wind up turning me off anyway if they judge me. If they wind up going like, I don't mean the thing like, ooh, that's kind of fucked up. But I mean where they're like, oh, I don't approve. Like, what? That to me, I shut down immediately. I had a girl not long ago do that about uh, you know some of the stuff. And she really liked me a lot. And I liked her. But I immediately, it was like a fucking piece of plexiglass went in front of me. And I was just done. Really? It, went, it drained anything I had for her drained out of me. Because I'm like, I'm so open about stuff like that. I don't care what you've been through in your life. It's, I'm never going to judge a girl for being a sexual deviant, no matter what she's done. So if I feel like I'm not going to get the same courtesy from her, I have zero interest. It's insane. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine if my relationship was set up and they said, you can't drink except with your wife. And when you drink with your wife, you need to share that together, and that's the time you drink. Right. And then I got to go in and be like, I've been holding off and being like, I've been a good boy. It's time to fucking let loose. Yeah. I would like, did you, were you a fan of Gigi Allen when you were a kid? No. I mean, I understand that, 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 you know, he was a rather naughty one and he ate shit and he threw it at the audience. There's something about him that irritates me, though. <laughs> and it's almost, I don't like the music. I mean, the murder junkies were not my style. My friend is good friends with Merle, his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a little too much for me, almost like, wow, look at how crazy and extreme I am, as opposed to, like, I do think he was genuinely nuts. Like, I'm not, you know, saying he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But I almost prefer a guy like Ozzy, who I feel it was so much more organic, even though he wasn't as extreme as Gigi Allen. Like, a guy that is just, because when you're throwing shit at the audience, and you're just yelling and screaming and shoving a banana up your ass... It's almost like a performance art thing where the extremity becomes the show. Like the craziness becomes the show. If you're throwing your own puke at people, that's not organic. That's just being nuts. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a guy who drinks and then actually just shits blood. Um, that's a more organic thing. If that makes any... It's almost like... I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably was. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I I don't think Gigi Allen. I mean, I think he was genuine. I think he was nuts, and he was extremely. You know, I believe. I believe me. I, he, he did things I would never do. Yeah. But uh, to answer your question, no, I just was not a big fan. Not a big fan of Gigi Allen. What was the um, what was the thing that what was the thing that you realized? Like, at what age did you realize? Like, all right, all right, uh, this is like, I, so I've never been with a prostitute, but I've been I've been in a I've been in a whorehouse. Sure. And I never pulled the trigger. 
my buddy pulled the trigger, and I was there the night he pulled the trigger, and was like, I'm going to fuck one of these chicks. And he did, and I remember him coming out and being like, oh, fuck. That, it's, it's, like getting, it's like doing cocaine for the first time. Yeah. Have, you ever, have you ever done cocaine? Oh, yeah. And so like the first time you do cocaine, you're like, oh, shit, all that Nancy Reagan just, shit just landed on me. Yeah. And now i got to deal with all these feel, feel, feelings that I, aren't mine. They're not mine, but this is society now has judged me, and I'm putting it on myself. What was the first time where you did something sexually deviant, and what did you feel like coming out of it? When I was a kid, I mean, uh, like, I, I don't remember my first sexual deviance because there were so many of them at such a young age. I do remember feeling weird. I would get my friend and his sister, because I like the smell of piss, <sighs> and I would get... Uh, you know, I've tried to enjoy the smell of piss. Not your thing? Not at all. Patrice used to tease me. He said, after sex, Jim smells like an alley, which was very funny. <laughs> uh I, I, and I would get them in their clothes to sit on my face because they would both piss their pants, which probably meant they had an awful home life, I'm sure. <laughs> but they would, in their pants, straddle my face, and I would just breathe in that piss behind a bush. And I was in probably second grade or first grade. At that age, I got like a sexual rush from that. So I would feel a little weird about that. Like I knew it wasn't necessarily normal. Or me and my friends sucking each other off. I kind of knew... <laughs> Yeah, wasn't yeah. necessarily normal. Do you know how many dudes I saw try to do a story like that after yours came out? What do you mean? Like, yeah, you know how comedy is. People have, like, people, something is interesting and draws attention to something and sparks it. And then you see people replicate it. Oh, okay. And be like, oh, you know, I, I, I hooked up with a dude when I was a kid. And you just sit in the back like, really? It's an interesting angle to... <laughs> nice, nice, nice. All right, let's get out of sexual deviation. Cause I'd be last yesterday I did an interview and all that I felt like anyone wanted to talk about was my drinking. Oh, yeah. And I halfway through I was like, oh, good God, I've been drinking a week. Well, that's the price that you and I pay for for making something our identity. Do you feel like? Do you feel like? Do you feel like people? Let me tell you how I feel, and then you tell me if you identify with this. People want their their heroes. To go out and explore and live the life and do the thing and and be real and bring it back to them. But then it's like all of a sudden you get a lot of people like judging that. And you're like, well, what the fuck did you – I don't know what you were looking for then. Well, yeah, but I mean I don't know if people want, the, want their heroes or people they like or however you want to phrase it to go out and do unhealthy shit. I think people also worry when they see people they like going out and doing self-destructive things. Like, a lot of your identity as a performer is tied into the fact that you drink and you're wild. A lot of mine is, turned, is, is tied into the fact that I'm sexually deviant. So a part of me is afraid that if I don't do that stuff, I'm losing my core or I'm not as interesting or I'm not going to be funny. Or I, like, I forget that that stuff is actually a distraction. Like, yeah, I mean, I make it funny. But if somebody once told me, don't try to find out who you are. Just get rid of all the shit you're not and whoever you are will show up. And it was like, yeah, all that stuff around me that I think makes me Jim Norton, that's just stuff that I've learned to incorporate into who I am. It's not who I am. I thought smoking was a part of who I am. I thought it was too. It's not. Drinking thought, is not I, a part of who you When I heard you are. quit smoking, I was like, I was like, that's so Jim. Yeah, but it's just a fucking dumb thing. It's just a thing that you weren't. Yeah, not so, at all. So then walk me through the, trans, the, 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 walk me through your career as I know it. Because like, I remember you. Being, I remember you not. I remember you not talking about sex at all. And then, it, and like, but you talk about hookers and whatnot oh, and yeah. trannies. But it's a joke. But then it, you got on O and A, and you kind of like you really kind of breathed it in. Well, you know, you get four hours a day to talk. And you start to realize that you stop. You lose interest in whether or not they're approving of it because in front of a live audience, <clears throat> it's a very immediate reaction. But on radio, it's not. 
So I'm just trying to make my dumb friends in the, la- in, in the room laugh. Opie, Anthony, and whoever was in the room. Dice, whatever it was. So it wasn't – it was a different energy because you stop – there's not an audience in front of you. So you can talk more casually and you can meander a bit. You can explore a bit. And then the fans would react positively or they would write in. And back that time was instant feedback or email or on AOL Instant Messenger or whatever it was. And I realized I was getting positive feedback and I started to make jokes about it on stage even more and more and more. Actually, though, uh, I remember in 2003, the first time I told the Monster Rain story was at Confessing It in Montreal. Jeff Singer did a show. It was called Confessing It, where you tell a story you've never told before. And that was a story I told in 2003 at the festival. And Opie said, when we're back on the air, because we were thrown off the air and he was at that show, he goes, I'm going to remember that story. I'm like, all right, whatever. So we're back on the air sometime 2004, Opie brings it up. And I tell the story on the radio and then it became a part of my stand-up act. Did you guys do, is it, am I mistaken to think that that was a, there was a, there was a, there was a, I was driving and I think Bobby told a story about hiding a girl in his basement Patrice talked about his incident when he was younger in Boston, and you told the Monster Rain story. Like everyone told their secrets. I think I told mine before that um, and then, when we first came back on the air, but I don't. I'm sure I told it there too. I mean, yeah. I don't remember. Honestly, don't remember. So wait. So how did that work with Opie and Anthony? Did you did you originally? Because I know you and like and like I want to say like Greg. No, no. Uh, Gene Michael. Gene Michael Simmons. Not God damn it. What's his name? Michael. Michael Paul. Paul Michael. Mercurio. Oh, Paul Mercurio, yeah. Yeah, Paul Mercurio, you, Lewis, uh, I'm bad with fucking names. Lewis Black? Lewis Black. Like, you guys were all, like, kind of a rotating cast of regulars, right? Yeah, I mean, it was more, Lewis would just come in, because he was on The Daily Show every Wednesday, I think. So Lewis would come in, because it was an afternoon thing. And um, I started going in once a week, and then twice a week, and then I got arrested with Lewis. And Opie said, just come in whenever you want. So uh, I became a regular that got paid. Mercurio was never um, – he started coming on frequently, but he was never a regular in the sense that he was on every day. He was just a guy that would rotate through like Rich Voss is now and, you know uh, – and Voss would come on then too, of course. Um, you know, Paul was just one of the regular guys, but Patrice would come on. Bob Kelly Wait, was Patrice not on Patrice would come yet. on back then? Yes, he was on IW, sure. Really? They, they, the first time they did they, – we were doing that thing where we would bash each other's tapes – and old tapes. And the first time they did my, my 1993 Repulsive Rascals performance was in was like... Was this when you had the voice? Yeah, how you doing? I should have been <laughs> fucking killed. should have my throat cut. The first time they did that was in like 2003. And, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, 2001 or two. And that was Patrice, Voss, Colin, and I think Paul Mercurio was in that day too. But that was on WNEW in the afternoon. So funny, I see, I see all those guys as tough crowd guys. Yeah. And then, and then Opie and Anthony guys. I didn't realize Opie and Anthony had the tough crowd guys on. First. Sure. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all like the comedy seller. Co- tough crowd came from that. I mean, from uh, the comedy seller, basically. But ONA was doing that hang out and rip each other before there was a tough crowd. If you could do one for the rest of your life, money's not a matter. Tough crowd, say, everyone gets to be alive again. <laughs> Toronto, Patrice. I'd have to go with tough crowd. That if everyone gets to be alive again, if I'm giving life, if I'm giving life, I have to go with Patrice and, and. Well, yeah, but I can't picture tough crowd without the two of them. I can't either. I, mean, I can't. I I couldn't imagine. I mean, those fucking yeah. moments were like, and then like, and there's there's so much. You know, it's interesting being on on my side of this conversation because I've I've known I've known you for probably 15 years. 
but not well. Sure, sure. But like I could call you if I needed something. Yeah. Um, but you just happen to fit into the small box of shit I like and everything you've done. Thank you. And like, and I mean, I look at like Georgia's birth. Georgia was born. I was a feature act. I was making seven hundred bucks a week and featuring all around the country. And I was working nonstop. But I was still upset. You know, it's when you're really passionate. I come home and we lived in Detroit Street, and uh, and I would sit with Georgia. Like I'd sit with my legs crossed, and Georgia would sit right here with her butt in the middle, and I'd drink coffee and I'd catch up on all my tough crowds from Thursday Friday. Oh wow! And it was like, and 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 you know, and it was like, and I know I knew all of you guys, but I felt closer. And then I go, I get serious, and Opie and Anthony come back, and I'd never listen to them. And I start listening to you guys on Opie and Anthony, and I become, like, it's like, tough crowd's gone, but then that's there. I remember one time you were looking for an apartment, and I go, my wife ran an apartment building, so we called you. And I go, my friend's looking for an apartment. I almost think it freaked you out or bothered you, but I said, Jim, I've got an apartment you might be able to rent. I said, let me put you on the phone with my wife. And she goes, who is it? And I go, it's Jim Norton. She goes, little Jimmy? And I remember you going like, ah, maybe I'll rent somewhere else. It was like right when you got Louie and you were looking for an apartment out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember. I don't know why we did. Yeah, I remember the ro- the apartment I got had a lot of roaches in it. I probably should have went with yours. Oh, it was it was pretty fucking sick. Yeah. And yeah, my wife's like, oh, I'll totally hook him up. I was like, and I, I want to say that to you, but then I didn't want to be like Maybe that. I didn't. I don't, maybe I don't want to bother you. I'm weird with that, too. I don't know. I, t- I don't remember. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that had something to do with it. I probably don't want to be a pain in the ass. Or, I, I don't know. Are you the kind of person that meets a celebrity and then gets their number and then calls them? No. I meet them. I take my photo, and that's normally the end of the relationship for me. And for them. I don't want anything from them. Like, I mean, I, like guys like Ozzy Osbourne, Dice, like guys that I've loved for so many years, I wanted to know. Like, Ozzy, I want to know. And I'm happy I know him. Like, you know, uh, other celebrities, you know, I'm okay with just meeting them, interviewing them, and that's it. A lot of them are very boring. I mean, you know, not all of them, but some of them are great. But a lot of them are very boring, and I'm only interested in them because I like taking a photo. Where, where does that come from? I, I don't know. This desire to capture that moment, it, it's about hoarding in a way. It's a way of hoarding experiences. Like, I'm a saver. I'm not a hoarder, but I mean, like, I, every photo I want. I don't know if it has something to do with uh, when I was a kid, I, I loved this little this girl, and she moved away. I've wondered this. Like, why am I like that? And I never went and said goodbye to her. And I, I wrote about it in Happy Endings. Like, my mother told me, go down and say goodbye to her. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get dressed. I just stared at my clothes, and I couldn't get dressed and say goodbye. And by the time I went down, like, the apartment was empty. She was gone, and I never saw her again. And I always wondered, like, that stupid little moment. Cause we would hang out all the time, and it was like, it was like again, second grade puppy love boyhood thing. Did that stupid door that I never closed properly, like, because I still remember that, and it's almost like 40 years later, it still bothers me. So it's like, is that one of those things that now I, I hoard these moments and these experiences? Or like uh, my friend Dean died of AIDS when I was, I want to say two years sober. It was probably 1989. And I didn't go to the hospital to see him. And because uh, I was afraid I would cry. I was scared I was going to cry if I saw him. And I was like, I don't know how to handle that. Now it wouldn't bother me as much. But back then, I hadn't lost as many people. So I said uh, to my friend Frank, like, yeah, we'll go uh, Monday. And he died on Friday. And I always regretted not going and saying goodbye to him or, or, or being there for him. I regretted not doing that because it was selfish. Like, nobody likes to go to the hospital. So these things that I look at that I never completed, I wonder if they have something to do with why I hoard these dumb... Because getting a photo is important to me, but then I don't give a fuck. 
I don't have. I don't want to follow them out of the building. I don't want to. I don't need their number. I don't want to go hang home with them. It's just the moment. Okay, it's captured and it's here, and I can either make fun of it um, if it goes poorly, or I have a cool picture if it goes well. There are times where I'll use it in my act, but uh, you know, like I wish I had a picture with Dean. I don't. He was one of my favorite people ever. And I don't have a photo with him. I have no photos of him or with him. And that's a little dumb thing that I regret that I just never did. So I don't know. Pictures were different. Back then, sure. There was no camera phones or any of that stuff. My buddy just uh, passed, like, last, like, last, I, th- I think I told you about yeah. it. And uh, I was spiraling a little bit because uh, he was a regular person. So he didn't take selfies. Like he was, and he was also a little bit of an artist. So he's like, oh, "Well, no, I'm not going to pose for a picture with you. We're friends. Let's hang out. Let's drink. Let's let's be us." When, and like, so we didn't like hike to the top of Runyon and get pictures together. We just hung out, and like, it was a real relationship. But everyone on fucking Facebook's got a goddamn picture with him, and I all I have is one one where it's clear I'm not. Neither of us want to take a picture. So, but I, yeah, that kind of fucks you up. I think it's Those nice to people. have. It's nice to have a photo, and again, that's not everything. But it's a you know it's it's a hundred year old human phenomenon or whatever it is two hundred years old that we've been able to do this all through history that people have never been able to capture moments like that so it's kind of hard to not want it yeah I regret not going to Patrice's funeral I just couldn't I just couldn't hear Patrice in my head saying yeah it's a good idea you should go because there's a lot of money for the ticket and it's like I remember I remember thinking so we spent you know a month together in Scotland with me him and Voss. And, uh, and, you know, Voss would play golf every fucking day. And we would leave Patrice and I alone to watch Bruce Lee movies and talk about hip-hop and go shopping. And he taught me how to make an omelet. And, like, just it was a really beautiful moment in my life that I, that, I, that, that I cherished. I think I told you this. And I was like, goodbye to him. And I was like, I'm really glad we became friends. He was like, ah, we're not friends. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, we work together. That's all we do. But, like, and, I, and I, when he died, I was like, I'm going to go to the funeral. But there's two thoughts went through my head. One, I could hear Patrice going, I wouldn't go to your funeral. And I can too. I didn't want to. I didn't want to look at it as like a, you know, the comics that would look at that as a marketing opportunity. Sure. I didn't want to be that guy. So I was like, yeah, you fucking mourn your own way. And sometimes you go like, sometimes it means something to the family to have people come, and it means something to the loved one. You know, I mean, that's why I go see people in the hospital now because nobody likes going, but it's selfish of me not to because it means something to them for me to go. Like they're happy that you showed up. So. Now I'm better with that. Um, I mean, nobody likes it. So, like, nobody likes it. But, again, if you had to fly and it was an expensive ticket, that's a bit of a different scenario. I live there, and they asked me to be a pallbearer. So, you know, it would have been really awkward to say no. And <laughs> yeah. we were very close. Wait, who are um, the pallbearers? Uh, what's that? Who are the pallbearers? Me, Colin, Jonathan, uh, who was his manager as well, uh, Keith Robinson, Matt Frosty, Frost, and Opie. Was one. Anthony said no because Anthony's Anthony with emotion was not comfortable. Anthony loved Patrice. Yeah, it was about emotions. I know that he's not good at that. Yeah, like yeah, he said he hasn't cried since '95 when his father died. So he's not really good at that stuff or not comfortable. Like Keith Robinson didn't talk at the funeral, and Keith was one of Patrice's closest friends. But I know Keith was probably afraid. A he wouldn't be able to speak and say what he really wanted to, or that he would cry. And it's weird that we got this. I'm not afraid of it anymore. Like, I used to be scared. Oh, God, you don't want to cry. But then I'm like, I don't even give a fuck at this point. Yeah. Like, and I think I'm, I, if I had to, because Keith was like, ah, no, I don't want to. But, you know, Keith loved Patrice. So I know that that's what he was afraid of. 
Here, 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 here. Voss, uh, at the end of what he spoke, if you remember, he said, my CDs and my tapes are available in the back if anybody's interested. That was like one of the greatest moments. funny. Patrice would have, you know. Would have loved that. He would have loved that. Patrice would have found it very funny. Patrice would have found it funny that Colin went up and slammed me. That's the first thing Colin did at the wake was slam. I told a story about a woman who had uh, survived breast cancer. It was true. And she came up to me to gig and she said, she, oh, she wrote me a Facebook when Patrice died. And she said Patrice was the first person that made her laugh about the fact that she had had a mastectomy, or however you pronounce that. Uh, is it mastectomy or mastectomy? Mastectomy. It is a um, and so I told the story. She's like, I'm a friend of Eddie Brills and blah, blah, blah. So I read the Facebook post. And Colin went up and said, couldn't you have edited out the part where she said, I'm a friend of Eddie Brills? Like, Did you have to fucking read that at the wake? And it got a huge laugh. And he was, he, he was right. He was absolutely right. But Patrice would have loved the fact that he went up and the first thing he did was smash me because that's what our relationships were anyway. It was well, I, I, it, it is the reason I'm not comfortable back in New York at clubs is because I remember it. I remember, I remember the ball. I remember the. I remember when Earl the Pearl was playing on the court. Does that make sense? Like when I was young, I would go in and it would be all you guys at the tables, and you guys were all young comics then, and it would be Attell st- sitting at the bar with Geraldo sitting at the bar, right? Coming back and forth because they were both drinking, and then uh, and then I never saw fucking Seinfeld or those guys were there. Colin wasn't even there much at the time when I started, but it was like you'd sit down and you'd get destroyed so quickly. But and then you'd kind of like float around the end edges, and I go back like recently, and I will go to the cellar, and it's like nobody. Uh, it's a I different know. vibe, a different energy. And but then again, Patrice stopped going in a couple of years before he died. He stopped going in there around two thousand three. Really? So yeah, he hadn't been in there since two thousand three or four. So it was one of those things where, you know, the energy definitely changed. I mean, Nick DiPaolo wasn't in as much, or but. Colin is still there all the time. I see Colin there three nights a week, four nights a week. I go all the time. Uh, Nick comes down once in a while. Bobby Kelly's always there. Keith is still there all the time. I mean, so it hasn't changed that much other than the fact that Patrice and Greg are dead um, and Nick doesn't come as much. But Bobby's energy makes up for, you know, Bobby has that toxic shit energy, which is fun. I mean, that's what makes him so funny. You know, like, Dave, you know, he's just a fucking ornery creep. I called Bobby. I was in, uh, I was, I don't know where I was, but I was trying to, I was in Des Moines and I'm, like at the beginning of like trying to make this lifestyle change where I start working out more and lose some weight sure. and I call Bobby and he's like, you know, you know, dead, it's tough with us, you know. And it says and I I was like bummed out and I got so cheered up instantly and listened to Bobby fucking spiral with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, dude, we're on a road, you know, boom, you get it's three o'clock in the morning, dude, you're bored. What am I gonna do? Fuck a hooker, I can, I'm married, so I eat, you know. <laughs> Bob has the entire conversation with himself and yeah. convinces himself that he's okay at the end. What a, I kind of wish, I kind of hope that all you guys don't get married and just end up in a retirement home together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we hope too. I mean, <laughs> Colin, I, eventually he might marry this girl. He's with, no, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not even close. Bobby's married with a kid though. Nick is married. You think no you'll kid. ever have kids? I don't know. I mean, uh, possibly. I don't, I'm not as against it as I used to be, um, but I'm not, I don't feel any pressing desire either. Yeah. I'm, I'm not pro or against it. I'm okay. I'm kind of ambiguous. 
Yeah, you're still young enough where you could start, and not you're not going to be an old dad. Well, I, yeah, it would be. I mean, I'm 46 nah. tomorrow. I mean, that's fairly was, old. Uh, well, you're, I thought, yeah, I heard you were 45, but I didn't know it was 46 tomorrow. I mean, wow. <laughs> Colin's one of my favorite human beings that I only got to witness through the shows, and then uh, he did Trip Flip. He did an episode of Trip Colin Flip. Colin did? Yeah. Yeah, it was the funniest fucking thing. They they I, We said, you know, we've got these two travelers. We want them to come and get on stage at comics, and... We'd love what we'd love is Colin. If you could give them an IFB and you tell them jokes to oh. say on stage, and Colin's like, okay, and I was like, well, let's. Uh, this is, by the way, it's a great fucking bit. So I go, well, let's. I go, let's test it out to see if it works. And uh, Colin's like, okay, so we're in the green room, and I give the kid the IFB. I give Colin the mic. Colin goes outside, and I go, I'll be the crowd. Colin, you start telling a material. What we didn't put into the equation is that Colin is fucking hilarious and that when someone hears Colin tell a joke, they're going to laugh. So the kid, so Colin goes, okay, look him in the eyes and say, uh, oh, what are you, uh, <laughs> you, you look like a German tourist going down to Thailand looking for young boys talking to me. What's up with that beard? Are you a retired WWF wrestler? Like just starts denying to me and the kid has the mic and he's just laughing hysterically and he can't repeat any of it. And he's just like, wait, say it again, say it again. Uh, and we're like, motherfucker. So it didn't work. <laughs> so, but it was one of the funniest fucking bits. And then Bobby came in and we talked about eating cookies in the shower. But uh, it was uh, fucking, yeah, you, did you ever, have you ever thought about living in LA? If I had to, I would. I mean, I mean, the radio for me keeps me in New York. And I like creatively, I'm much better in New York. I like the energy there to perform. But, uh, you know, I like L.A. I enjoy it very much. Like, I'm out here promoting this week, and it's like, I enjoy I miss yeah, coming yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, What's the Vice show? I saw, well, the, tre- I saw the teaser. I love the teaser. Thank you. By, by the way, I love the teaser, and, I, and I've, obviously, every comic has done a dickload of teasers for their own specials, for their own shit, and I saw it, and I fucking did not catch. I didn't expect the punchline. And, oh, I was, and you know, we're, I'm like, okay. It's like, trying to rewrite it, that's what you do naturally. Fucking great. Thank you, man. Um... Yeah, I mean, so coming out to LA to promote, I enjoy. Like, I really do. Like, I wanted to come out here and, and, and do some podcasts. And, and, like, I really, I didn't want to just stay in New York and do it. Um, it's a, and I wasn't doing that to segue into whoring my product either. No, no, it, no, it was, no, uh, hey, no, no. I'm- it's a talk show on vice.com. It comes out Wednesday, the 23rd. And uh, they kind of let me do an uncensored talk show where I do a monologue and then a couple of, uh, a sketch with, with a pre shot sketch. Or sometimes a piece to the actual audience, like, uh, and then I interview a guest. And the first show is Mike Tyson and Dana White, and that was a great episode, and they were great interview subjects, and they were really open. Separately? Together on the couch. I kind of wanted to do a Graham Norton style. Um, we tried a different way. We shot four episodes total, and I wanted to try different ways. Um, you know, that was the first episode, and then Freeway Rick Ross is the second one, I think, and, and it was just me and Rick alone. And then I do, uh, I had Dave Attell on one show, and Voss and Sherrod did a really funny piece in Harlem about where they were, Sherrod was asking black people what annoys you about white people, and Voss was asking white people what annoys you about black people. And kind of what I expected to happen would happen, which was that white people were like, oh, nothing, and black people were open and honest about it, because they're much more honest about race than white people are. Yeah. And uh, so they stayed on the couch with me after we showed the bit, and then Dave came out, and in the fourth episode, it was uh, Whitney Cummings, who was really funny and really, really open. Whitney's great. She is uh, she's really She's a open. very, very open person, and uh, she doesn't shy away from talking about it. She's not bit-driven in conversations, which I love. So I was really happy with how it came out, and the freedom they let me, they kind of let me just say whatever I wanted to say, and they didn't creatively fuck with me at all, which was great. 
couple of suggestions for this and that, but I wanted an old school set like Mike Douglas and Dick Cavett. Like those are the guys I grew up watching. So wait, what was the hair for? The what? You grew your hair out for something. Oh, it's for one of my sketches. I, I, I'll tell you off the air what it was. Yeah. Because I haven't, you know, people will see it. The crowd loved the sketch, by the way. Really? They, yeah, I grew it out for a, a sketch I was shooting. And uh, the crowd enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, uh, it's actually two sketches I was shooting. So, um, you know, I, I think people will be very pleased when they see it. That's, it's, yeah, because you with hair, I'd always thought might be better than... I always thought, well, you know, he should grow out. And then I saw you there. I was like, holy shit, man. Like, is that what you looked like when you were younger? Um, I had more of it. Like, as I, I, then when I grow it out like that, I'm like, wow, I'm really losing it. But uh, in the middle, I could see it's thinning. But I, just, I, 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 just, well, I was shocked you have gray hair. Oh, you have a lot of it. I didn't think you had gray hair at all. I always just assume you yeah. to see you as that fucking, and I love seeing you fat. Uh, in... Uh, when, oh, just like when you go oh. online and you watch an old video oh, God, of Dom yeah. Jones kicking you or yeah. something, and you're like, oh, I forgot Jim was fat. Yeah, I was a pig. <clears throat> I see old photos, too. I'm like, oh, you fucking oinker. I forget, too, until I see an old photo. It's a good reminder. I'm glad those pictures are out there because it reminds me of what happens. If, you know, Because food's a rough one, man. It's a hard one to not shove food in my fucking face. And uh, then I look at those photos, I'm like, ugh. It's yeah. really bad, yeah. I'm gonna, I feel like a fanboy as I talk to you, unless it's an equal, but I don't really give a fuck. No, now, here's one of my favorite things to do on the road, and I want your suggestion, and I want this to people listening. One of my fucking favorite things to do on the road is Google uh, Opie and Anthony clips of you with people in the room. Like my favorite, I told you my favorite clip when I was in there last time was Patrice and uh, Louis C.K. debating race. Oh. Oh, the or the uh, the de- de- uh, derivative of of ethnic slurs. The origin of the word nigger. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah. And so like, by this, it's one of my favorite things to do. Yes. So now, someone who's a part of the show. What are your favorite memories of the show that you would say if you Google this, this, and this? That's one of the best ones. That's one of my favorite times where I couldn't stop laughing. You know, my favorite moment on the show probably because, again, there's a couple of things I love on the show. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, but the ones I will, I will Google and listen to over and over again. One is when me and Patrice discussed Face Off, and he was a stubborn motherfucker, and he was always right, and he was like, Face Off was a good movie, and I fucking told him it stunk, and I convinced him that it stunk, and that was one of my favorite moments was Patrice giving in to the idea that Face Off Stunk. Yeah. <laughs> Made me great joy. Gave me great joy. That and the up and down game with Bobo, that clip where Patrice had that amazing, genuine, you know, Bobo. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's, you know, a weird guy comes in. He's not retarded, but he's real slow and, and he's got like a little awful dick. We play the up and down game with him, which is where like he, he'll take his dick out and, he'll, and you start talking about a girl with big tits and he just gets an erection, like a three inch erection. <laughs> And then I'll start talking about the Mets outfield problems, and his dick just goes soft, and he just starts talking like, "Yeah, they need to get a, a you know designated hitter, or whatever. you know, uh, not nationally, but you know what I mean." <laughs> yeah. So the up and down game, and you watch his dick go up and down, and he doesn't have any idea that you're doing this because he's you know he's again he's not a genius. <laughs> and the first time we showed this to Patrice, he loved it. It's one of my favorite moments because that that laugh by Patrice, oh. that genuine. I don't know if you ever seen the clip. Uh, not that one, no. It's that genuine laugh by Patrice. He didn't give that one up very often. And I've seen that a few times. We had a few moments like that. Once when we laughed at Will, you know, Will Sylvance, who lived with Patrice. Once me and Patrice laughed at his feet because he had really bad bunions. (laughs) And we laughed like 
it was one of those laughs. And once in uh, Brazil, laughing at Jason Steinberg's brother trying to sound like he's Portuguese. <laughs> uh, and Patrice told me that. He goes, he goes, I think of the five biggest laughs I've ever had in my life. You were a part of two or three of them, which was a great honor. And I feel the same way about him. So when he has that laugh with Bobo, which I'll show you after we're done, yeah. um, that's one of my favorite moments ever. Because it was a real, he couldn't not laugh that hard it made it was just very funny to him other things i love like somebody told me there's a thing called the jim norton laugh compilation of times where i've been made to laugh really hard on the show i want to say i saw that recently a lot of them were anthony lines and what was so, the, what was the one that you laughed you laughed for like five minutes straight you could not stop laughing i just listened to that the other it night. might have been uh because a lot of there again there's so many there were anthony lines there was when opie threw the poker chips that's one of the biggest laughs i ever had it's so funny i didn't enjoy that no, you didn't enjoy that. No, I, and I was listening. To the, I think I was listening to the show then, but I didn't. I I can, something that I never really enjoyed on the show was like when you guys would interview authors and rip their pages up as they were doing it. I understand. It made me so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. And I would just sit there and go, "Oh, just get this guy off the fucking phone," because I'm I'm waiting. It's what makes probably great radio, but it's like I'm waiting for the moment where that guy goes, "Are you ripping my fucking book up?" Yeah, it's awful. Like, it's it's so funny, but I used to listen to that and go, oh, like I get nervous. Like things like that make me nervous. When when someone was telling me about a moment they had where they blacked out, uh, Chris Hardwick was telling me a moment he had where he blacked out and got hammered. He went to go do a he had a sitcom pilot and he was and he was booked it. And the night before he's like, I'm gonna go sit down by Santa Monica, have a beer, and read my script. And as he said that, I get douche chills. And I go, I know how this night ends, and it's not good. And I go, don't don't want another rest. The story's over. I'm done. I can't hear it. Like, that kind of energy freaks me the fuck out. It's like Cowhead has his fucking foghorn that in, his, in his studio, and I get uncomfortable doing his show sometimes because he hasn't hit it yet. So I know that it's coming. Yeah. Anticipa- 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 anticipation fucking freaks me out. Yeah, I understand the uncomfortability. I mean, it's part of, part of what made me laugh at the poker chip thing was the fact that I was there and the way they skid, they, A, they were a shit gift that the woman gave him, and the way they skidded across the table, it just hit me as, that's one of the biggest belly laughs I've ever had on the show. You had one, Anthony made you laugh that I heard on. That was a Neil Patrick Harris we were talking about where he was singing a song called like, you know, something like control the weather with your hand or something. And then as we were talking, Anthony said, uh, control the weather with your fist and, <laughs> and make a mudslide, which I thought was such a brilliant yeah. fisting in the ass joke. <laughs> Um, and, and you know what he did recently? He did, uh, he did the voice of a guy who had shot himself in the head. Anthony's, uh, voice, the, like, he used to talk about the guys that survive when they shoot themselves. And he does the voice like that, like, like after their faces have been surgically repaired. Yeah. That made me laugh. Anthony's burn victim voice, uh, made me laugh a lot. Uh, there's so many, there's so many moments. Uh, Otto talking Anthony. about Auntie M, uh, committing suicide. Was one of my biggest laughs on the radio show. Really, yeah. Anthony made me. Anthony made me laugh. I I loved when Anthony and Patrice would go back and forth. Like yeah. that, was, that was one of my. Those were my favorite. Absolutely, moments. it was great because they. That's why people who anyone calls Anthony a racist. It's like, you know, racially, yeah, man. He he's got certain views he has that are like he's a little sick and tired of certain behaviors and shit. Um, and he and he's more of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and shut the fuck up guy yeah. because he came from nothing. He came from terrible uh, poverty. He had no money, and uh, he was a tin knocker. And he got lucky, and he knows he got lucky, and he made the most of it. Yeah. And he doesn't want to hear anybody fucking whining and putting their hand in his pocket. So he reacts to that a lot, and people really think that he hates black people. He does not. 
And not, this is not like it sounds well, even weird. Like that's it's bizarre for me to hear you say that. Only because I'm like, you telling? I guess you're not telling me. You're telling people listening. Sure, I know that. I, I know, I've listened to the show enough. Oh yeah, you know, know I'm, that, I'm just yeah. kind of stating because yeah. I know that that's what the issue is that people have had recently in the last three weeks. Yeah, and now uh, him and Patrice going back and forth is Patrice and I said this to Rogan uh, recently. Is that Patrice could smell a true scumbag racist? And he said Anthony's racism was cute. Like he classified Anthony's racism as cute. Like it didn't offend him. Yeah. It didn't bother him. And Patrice never would have interacted with him. If he was the guy that a lot of people think he is, Patrice yeah. would have hated him for that. So, the fact that they would have brutally any white people criticizing Anthony and saying Anthony's terrible, none of them would have sat across from Patrice O'Neill and had the respect for him to be as honest as Anthony was. Right or wrong, those guys went back and forth, and they were very truthful with each other, and they listened to each other, and. Any other white person would have sat across from Patrice and politely yesed him to death because they were scared of the loud black guy. Anthony's not scared of the loud black guy. So they went back and forth as, as kind of equal mental combatants, yeah. and they respected each other, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense to and, me. And, and to me, that's a brutally honest racial conversation that you don't get from other people. You, well, you don't get honesty. It's what, it's, what made, it, what, it's what, and I say made only because it's when I was listening yeah, to sure, it. Yeah, sure, sure. But that's what made, I mean, I, I, and I, it, w- another aspect of what I fell in love with Opie and Anthony was that I would drive to play tennis with this old man, Marty, every morning, uh, right after we moved upstairs in that apartment, right after Tough Car got done. So every morning as I drove, I would listen to Opie and Anthony in the morning, and it was towards the end where that you guys would give out line of the day. As I would pull in to go play tennis, line of the day happened on this, I'd take a left-off fucking Pico. Yeah. I'm obsessed with small details. I'd take a left-off Pico, and that's when Line of the Day would. And I was always like, I'd wait in the car if I hadn't heard Line of the Day. And I, But those conversations were so fucking yeah. awesome that you were like, oh, this is fuck. I was in the car listening to, I, mean, I can tell you where I was when I heard the fucking uh, homeless guy to go off on Condoleezza Rice. I was in the parking lot getting out of the car. I remember that my car had just been washed so the seats get greasy like they do in LA. And I was sliding out, and I listened to him go off, and I went, Whoa. And I got back in the car and I went, oh shit. <laughs> I remember going, fuck, I'm listening to the replay today. I want to hear what Ron and Fez have to say about this. Like, and I was like, this is not going good. <laughs> Do you remember who was in the studio with us that day? Uh, all I remember, uh, no, I don't. No, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, no, I don't. Bill Burr. Was he really? Yep, he was. Burr was there. I had forgotten too. He was there when Bernie Getz was there. Bill was there for some really cool moments. Dude, the Bernie interviews were fucking amazing. Amazing. I remember Ben Bailey being in studio one day, like in the studio, but he wasn't in the studio yet. Yeah. It's when I didn't know what the studio looked like. Sure, so sure. I had a different visual of it. And so, but I, in my idea, uh, Ben was in the waiting room attached to the studio. Wow. And Bernie Getz, you, and they were throwing the tapes around, and Bernie was losing it. Where did you bury the gun, Bernie? And he was losing his fucking mind. I remember listening to that going, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah, it's fun to recount a show that it's fu- it's like I understand the people who cancel their subscriptions. Sure. I understand it. I, I get do it. too. I, I didn't cancel mine because I'm like, well, fuck. I still like Jim and Opie. Like, I'm still a fan of them. Yeah. And I'm going to be a fan of Ant. Sure. Best case scenario, what happens? Anthony and I work together again with Opie, the three of us together. On XM? Yeah, or anywhere. Yeah. The, for me, the best case scenario is that Opie and Anthony continues and Jim Norton is on the show. That's my best case scenario. Like, um, you know, I don't want to work without Anthony, 
I wouldn't want to work without Opie either. I mean, he's a tremendous part of the of, of the equation, and it's like me and Ann have a great time together. But there would be something really missing if Opie wasn't there. And it's like one of those things you notice when somebody's gone, and not for a day or two. So my perfect scenario is that the three of us are performing together again. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not. And then my perfect scenario is that my Vice show is going so that, like, I don't know what I'm going to do in October. I don't know what kind of money they're going to offer me. I don't know if they're going to want me to stay or if they're going to want Opie to continue without me. Like, I just don't know. So I'm going to ob- finish my obligation, my contract, and then we'll see where we're at and, what, and what, what's being discussed. I, I just don't know. But I love performing on the radio. I love it. It was nice to hear. Uh, uh, I'll say it off the air. Okay. Ah, fuck it. It's like, like I, part of the thing you fall in love with is radio beef. You know, sure. it was nice to hear. It was a nice to hear like that old school Opie forget about loses shit on Stern the other day. Oh yeah, like yeah, I yeah. haven't heard that Opie in so fucking long. Oh yeah, and then Opie lost it. I was like, I was like, ah, man, fucking everyone's got re. It's, it's it's a renaissance around here. Yeah. Um, let's best case scenario. Everyone else then best case scenario for Bob Kelly. Uh, Bob Kelly, that Opie and Anthony work together again. <laughs> That Jim Jim Norton is killed in a boating accident, and then Bob is hired. Now, Bob, no, here, here's the thing. Let's let's do a dream scenario. Okay, here's the dream scenario. Bob Kelly has a show with Dennis Leary that he's playing. He's doing on FX. But the show got picked up, so Bob has got a series coming out. So, best case scenario for Bob is that that show blows up and becomes huge. And then he can say to Opie and Anthony and me, I'm going to be like De Niro was telling fucking Jerry uh, Langford, I'm going to be 50 times more famous than you. Yeah. And he can tell us to fuck <laughs> off. That's Bob's best case scenario. What about Voss? Voss? Oh, best case scenario. I hate to say it. He dies. That's the best case scenario for all of us, especially Bonnie. It was so fucking. The analogy you used, he's like a gazelle walking around injured lions was the best analogy. You said it. Oh. Yeah, you said, yeah, Voss walked in here yesterday like a gazelle walking around Uh, injured lions. Uh, He had a good run. (laughs) I never liked the guy anyway. Yeah, he was very funny. Voss really fucking murdered. I haven't I haven't heard Voss in a while. Voss is a uh, very very fucking fast thinker and funny dude. He really is. When he when he said to Pete Rose when Pete Rose had oh to explain the idea of breaking a record to Voss. <laughs> when, when my favorite. What what happened? Who's I don't I, I didn't catch the whole Pete Rose. When I, Pete Rose Pete, at one point Pete uh, Voss was panting for some reason. And, uh, you know, Pete Rose has packed a little weight on. So uh, when, when, when Pete Rose said to Voss, uh, hey, look at you, you're out of breath. And Voss, without blinking, said, yeah, I'm out of breath because I had to walk around you and Bobby. That's why I'm out of breath. <laughs> it's one of the best fat jokes I've ever heard immediately. <laughs> he's like, he's literally, it's almost like he can pause life, think for five minutes and come right back and hit play. Like, that's how Rich thinks. It's very, very quick. Now, your book, uh, I'm checking to see how much time we've done. How much we're we We're getting done? close. We're right up on an hour. Okay, well, um, all right. Um, your, you wrote your book, and I, and I told you this. It was an inspiration of why I wrote my book. Because, and I don't know if, what you know, and I don't know if this is offensive, but when we got the book process started, I said, so what am I supposed to do? And they were like, well, why don't I send you, I don't know who said this, it might have been one of the editors, why don't I send you Jim Norton's submission? And I went, oh, okay. So I read your submission, oh, okay. and I was like, Oh fuck! It was so good. Which none of it's in the book, I don't think. I don't know. It's uh, it's about it's ta- you're talking about you, uh, going to have. You're like I don't know what this is supposed to be. I'm supposed to go have lunch. At oh some yeah, no, that's in the book. That is in the book. Oh, it is in the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For happy endings. Yeah, and so uh, I read it and I was like, oh wow, 
So in my head, I was like, okay, my submissions obviously was nothing like that. It's in the book. Mine's in my book too. But I didn't find the book writing. I found the book writing process a fucking blast. I didn't find the book selling process fun at all. Yeah, selling's never fun. Writing was fun. I enjoyed the editing. I would say that, uh, you know, the, the, the writing was the most fun. But yeah, the selling is never as fun. I mean, it, it's never as enjoyable because we're, we're performers. We're not salesmen. So yeah. for us, that's never the fun part. Like promoting my show is not nearly as fun as doing it was. We're editing it, but going out, you know, my shame, I get wrapped up in my shame. Like, you know, you got to watch me now. And I just hate it. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I said that to you about, at Backstage at Cowheads. I was like, I was like Are, did you enjoy the process of selling a book? And you're like, ah, you can't. Because it made me extremely vulnerable. Yes, because you can fail and you can and there's direct there's numbers to tell you how you're doing. Like there's nothing there's not there's no intangibles with numbers. You know how many you sold or or, or you know if it's on the bestseller list. Um, I like the fact that they you know both books made the bestseller list. I was very proud of that. Um, you know, I, I'm I would love to do a third one. Do you think you will? Uh, uh, yeah, I know I will. I'm very annoyed that I haven't, but I've been I've been doing a lot of like in you know in, in the last six years I've done a couple of specials and I've been. You know, I, I haven't been not doing anything. I did a lot of Leno stuff, so it was like I felt like I was at least focusing on other shit. But now it's time to do another book. I would love to. Yeah, what do you think yeah. it'll be called? I don't know yet. I don't know what it will be about. Which I, which one did you enjoy more? The happy one? endings, um, because that was more sex stories. I, I regretted some of what I wrote in. I hate your guts because it was it, the anger in it. It was a very a book that I really did hate a lot of the people I wrote about, um, and I lumped in people there I shouldn't have. But I mean, I kind of needed that to verbally vomit it all, and I like the fact that I addressed stuff like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, things I didn't like, the language policing and fucking the hypocrisy. And, but I wish that I hadn't included Steve Barton. Um, oh yeah, you I talked, felt it was unfair. Oh, you talked about yeah, running into him. Felt it was unfair uh, what I said. Uh, so whatever. I mean, but again, it's not a big deal. It's just one of those things. I wish I had had a different tone to some of that book. Yeah, Derek Jeter. I shouldn't have ripped him as hard because it was unfair to be as angry as I was about it. So, whatever. Is that why you got Arizona Missions insurance? Uh, well, yeah, because uh, I, I also, when I did that, uh, there was a line I said about somebody where I said they wave their dick in front of children, but it was an obvious joke, and they told me, no, no, you should change that. The lawyer who was vetting the book for Simon & Schuster said, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not saying that he's a pedophile. They're like, no, no, we understand, but any mention of that could set somebody off and they could sue. And you'd win, but you'd have to pay to defend it. And I'm like, ah, so, so can, I changed it. Can you quickly def- define Arizona Missions Insurance? Arizona Missions Insurance means I pay for insurance and uh, I get covered if anybody sues me because of what I've said or like and, saying I defame them. On and Anthony or just the books? Yeah, anything spoken. But anything usually spoken. it's vetted. Like the books and the specials are vetted by the lawyer. I mean, they go over They don't say there's anything that's got to be taken out. And on the radio, they're taking a risk. Uh, but yeah, they, they get vetted and, and I pay, I think, 11 grand a year. It's expensive. 11 grand a year and you cover up to 3 million? I think so, yeah. Have you had to use it? No. Well, I, mean, I got sued once, but uh, after that, I had the insurance. You know what Did I mean? You, have you ever talked about Are you allowed to talk about it? I that? don't know, to be honest with you, how my, The reason I don't talk about it is when we sign things, like when you're done with a lawsuit, and this is in a lot of cases, and when you both kind of walk away from it, you're supposed to be done with it, and not go. I won. No, but I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know if I signed something that said I wouldn't speak about it. Okay. So that's why I haven't. Um, it's not out of fear of talking about it. I just don't know if I signed that. I, I should actually look at that before I comment yeah. on it. I don't know. Okay. All right. So I'm just careful of that for legal reasons. But so off, off air, I'll tell you anything you want to know about it. Yeah. All right. Well, off air, I'll tell you a bunch of stuff. The uh, 
I feel like I feel like podcasts have gotten so safe only because I've fucking destroyed so much shit in my life uh, through podcasts where you are honest and then all of a sudden your honesty comes back and bites you. Oh fuck yeah! And you're like you're like oh it's so much easier just to be a little distant and fake. Yeah, I'm very very I, I talk about everything. Um, and again, something like that, it's like, well, I'd be a dummy if I didn't at least think like, okay, you know. Yeah. So, so. you're going to do Burr's now? Yeah. Nice. Back in my hotel. Oh, is he coming to your hotel? I think so. Yeah. He's having studios, having some work done. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's nice. We're during <laughs> actually much better podcasts, but I appreciate uh, you having me, man. No, much. don't mention it. I appreciate it. The show, your show is on, on vice.com. Yeah. The Jim Norton show on vice.com premieres, uh, uh July 23rd, so I don't know when this will be up. It may be up when right now. When do you want now. me to put it up? What's up? Whatever you want. Before July 23rd, obviously, right? Sure, if you can. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And people check it out, and hopefully you'll like it. Yeah, I think I think, I think think it'll be fun to listen. You're, you're a good interview, and you're really smart, and I think that's Thank one you. of the things. With Tripoli and I were talking about you before you came, because Tripoli was here before you, right. and Tripoli was like, uh, he's like, you know, it's so funny. Jim's one of the first guys where you'd, I don't know if he said this exactly, but it was paraphrased to... You watching him, you do Opie and Anthony, realize you don't have to do bits. You can just be interesting and funny and interesting as opposed to it's like redefining the way comedies, you know, portrayed. And I, and I, I hate to say it, but like podcasting's changed the dialogue we comics now have with fans. Sure. And, and the majority of podcasting was learned watching that first round of you guys doing ONA Just XM. Yeah, oh, the natural flow. Four yeah. hours of you guys eating food on air. Yeah. It just, it was, you go, oh, they really are actually, someone's actually going to take a piss and coming back. Yeah, and they're still talking. It's like a real hang. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks Thank for you, doing man. this, man. Thanks, buddy. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.